Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry and of course this is my co-host. And my name is Chris Huddleston. And today we're doing video again. I'm not going to keep repeating it like it's new, although it is new and we're excited. Uh, today we're very excited to be talking to you about a cult classic uh, in... Today we are very excited to be talking to you uh, about the Rocky Horror Picture Show. You've seen all kinds of movies, but you've never seen anything like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. The Rocky Horror Picture Show is wonderfully weird. They're probably foreigners with ways different than our own. It's fabulously freaky. It's a trip to transsexual Transylvania. The Rocky Horror Picture Show. From transsexual Transylvania. The story is strange. For tonight is the night that my beautiful creature is destined to be born! The songs are super. The scenery is smashing. The cast is completely crazy. Junior Chamber of Commerce, Brad. There's a mad scientist named Frank N. Furter. Come up to the lab and see what's on the slab. And Rocky, his incredible creature. A bad crowd, but it was worse than I imagined. A sinister servant named Riff Raff. I remember doing the time war. And Brad and Janet. My name's Brad Majors. Just a couple of clean cut kids. This is my fiance, Janet Weiss. Eddie. Magenta. When shall we return to Transylvania? Huh? Columbia. <laughs> Dr. Scott. Great Scott! So give yourself over to absolute pleasure. Don't See the Rocky Horror Picture Show. All right, so you hadn't seen this. Well, synopsis. Synopsis, yes. synopsis <laughs> man. All right. In this cult classic, Sweethearts, Brad, Barry Bostwick, which this is our second Barry Bostwick film. We did uh, uh, Megaforce. Um, and Janet, Susan Sarandon, stuck with a flat tire during a storm, discovered the e eerie mansion of Dr. Frankenfurter, Tim Curry, a transvestite scientist. As their innocence is lost, Brad and Janet meet a house full of wild 
wild characters, including a rocking biker, meatloaf, and a creepy butler, Richard O'Brien. Through elaborate dances and rock songs, Frankenfurter unveils his latest creation, a muscular man named Rocky. I mean, for such a, a flamboyant, in all the best ways, movie, that's a very dry synopsis, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, what do you, why don't we take a moment and acknowledge what you're enjoying? You drink it in October. Yeah, beer. this is called, um, so this is a good fall beer that I've discovered. It's called, uh, it's Land Grant Brewing. I don't know if, how well that's going to show up. And it is called. They're not paying us for this, by the way. No, it's just, it's Free. called, called Lawn Raker Oktoberfest. Nice. I am not drinking a beer at the moment. I'm just enjoying a small glass of red wine. <laughs> oh, possibly not so small. It's a big red and a big glass. Okay, so of course, if you're new to the podcast, uh, yo, we spoil these movies now. This Rocky, movie came out almost 50 years ago. It's not like it's a new release, but 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 Chris hadn't seen it. I so, had not seen this. So my. The closest I had gotten to watching this, I was thinking about this as I watched, uh, and I, I know this was when it was because I remember where I lived when I attempted to watch this the first time. So it was like 99 or 2000. And it was a Friday or Saturday night after a night out, some imbibing. And this was on one of the movie channels, and I tried to watch it, and I got about 20 or 30 minutes in, and I fell asleep. So that was my last attempt at watching this. Um, unlike... Some people, I don't hate musicals. Um, I really like Tommy. Um, I like, we covered uh, Anna, Anna and the Apocalypse last Christmas. I really like that a lot. I'll probably watch that again. But, you know, Grease, I never got into. Some of the newer things like uh, Mamma Mia and Chicago and La La Land. Just It's just kind of not my thing. But, so... I don't hate musicals, but I wouldn't necessarily seek them out. So that's part of why I had never really watched this. Um, But my initial reaction, so in the very beginning, I was a little bit confused as to the time frame. So we start out with a wedding and I didn't know if in the, you know, one of the initial songs with Barry Bostwick and Susan Sarandon starts and it's, uh, and I'll get into this more as we go along. A lot of the songs in this are very, you know, it's like late 50s, early 60s sounding. I don't know what that style right. is called. It's uh, not really like uh, doo-wop, uh, right. but yeah, yeah, it's kind of that. So I will admit to not loving that style of music. And that kind of affected somewhat my enjoyment of this film. But it starts out and I'm like, is this the 50s? Is it the early 60s? Well, the only indication of time frame is where they're driving in the car and Nixon is on the radio and it's, it's Watergate time. He's resigning. Yeah. So this is 73 or whatever, which was when the original stage play was, was like 73, I think. Um, so, but that was kind of irrelevant. Like I, I, you know, I guess that established the time frame, but it could have been the fifties or sixties. The mode was certainly, and the male, female, the gender roles that, Brad and Janet are our, our ingenue protagonists um, personify is very much uh, they're the straight laced 50s, 60s Ward and June Cleaver mm-hmm. caricature of gender roles and suburban white norms. Um, and it's pretty clear from the makeup 
and the lyrics that it's uh, it's it, the thing starts out by poking that in the eye. Right. The the name of the first song is "Damn It, Janet." Damn it, Janet. I love you. Mm-hmm. It's, do, 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 do. it's just campy right yeah. off the bat. Um, but yeah, then there's the Nixon thing. So it's a sort of a, the time it's not in, it's super important what time it is as much as we understand that it's set in this world of, uh, those norms. And I interpreted the Nixon speech being on the radio as, just an early indicator that some of this stuff was crumbling, mm-hmm. right? Cause it's Nixon saying it's against my every, every fiber in my being to resign, but you know, for the good of the country. And of course, by that point, we all knew that he had done it and he had been lying and cheating and lying about Watergate. And he was only resigning because they were going to impeach him if he didn't. Yeah. So anywho, but I felt like, so, okay, so we start out with that, you know, where I was a little confused on the timeline and then figured it out. And so once they get to the castle, I was a little bit, it surprised me a little bit in a in kind of a positive way that they didn't, um, I kind of felt like they were going to make the couple the butt of jokes and they weren't really. They kind of, there was one scene where Barry Bostwick get, gets mad but they kind of just go with it. Like they strip their clothes off and they're just sort of like, okay. Went in Rome. Yeah. Went in Rome. So So, so let's just slow down for one second. So they, they are not the married, they're not the couple getting married, right? But they're in love, but they're in love and she catches the bouquet. And I think he proposes to her. Right. And so they're driving, I forget where they're driving from somewhere to somewhere else. Right. That, that's really off the beaten path and they get caught they get in a, a thunderstorm and get a flat. Mm-hmm. And they find themselves in this sort of dead end road and these motorcycles have been going by with weird characters on them. And he says, well, let's just go, you know, I'm going to hike up to that. I saw a castle a mile back or something. We're going to see if they have a phone. And she said, I'm coming with you. Mm-hmm. So they both show up soaking wet in a rainy, dark and stormy night on the doorstep of this big gothic looking castle where there's all these motorcycles and there's clearly something going on inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So they get there and so once, uh, and you know, it's 15 minutes into the movie, 10, 15 minutes or whatever. Once um, Tim Curry is on screen, it picks up. Um, And I would don't skip over the time warp. Okay, that's what I was, I was Because that's say. one of my favorite yeah. sequences in the entire movie is they open the door and we know this actor from Dark City. Yes. Right? He was one of the best parts of Dark City. And I th- I think this was his movie. Did yeah, he, he created this? it. Yeah. He, he wrote the... So... He's the brainchild behind all of it. And his name is? Quinn? Uh, Timothy... It's not Tim O'Leary. Um, no. Tim... Oh, Richard O'Brien. I was O'Brien. close. I was very close. Quinn O'Brien. <laughs> um, Open up the beer. So yeah, so he he opens the door and he is the uh, the butler, the kind of Igor character. He has a big mm-hmm. hunch and he yeah, the master. What I you know, uh, you've arrived on a suspicious evening, and he, they sort of well, you better come in, you know, and they come in to the. Oh, I was trying to get that pouring sound. That lovely pouring sound. 
uh, they're ushered into the grand hallway or whatever. And there's everybody that's been on the motorcycles. They're all sort of dressed in similar outfits with sort of platform shoes and kind of uh, shiny um, latex sort of suits or it's, it's funky. They all have kind of big, um, they have like big plastic sunglasses, kind of big gonzo glasses, which, on on, which made, which looked like the eighties to me. It was like, wow, they look like characters right out of the like, yes. 1985. And they're all different shapes and sizes and colors and, you know, but they all have sort of the same general accoutrement, but mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're, they're, uh, just getting ready and they do a big musical number called the time war. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you know the Rocky Horror Picture Show, you've you've heard "Let's Do the Time Warp" again. And and, I, and even though I had not seen the film, I, I mean, I'd probably seen up to that point, but I knew "Let's Do the Time Warp," and I knew the other. I'm a transsexual yeah. from yes. Transylvania, and I or whatever. can't wait to get to that too. But I want to give this its due. Okay, so this is an electrifying number, and if you've stuck with the movie this far, which it's not exactly there's not a hook by today's standards, like. Today's you go to an action movie and there's a huge thing that huge opening sequence that gets you invested in it, right? You, we open with some kind of a big thrilling action sequence that lands the hook, and then we establish what's going on here, particularly in an action movie. So, so the hook in this one is damage Janet, and it's interesting enough for you to be like, hmm. And we're not that deep into the movie. The, to me, the time warp is really the hook. Um, and it, I was watching it. I haven't seen it in a long time. I was watching it last night and really thinking, this is crazy. You know what I mean? This is just bonkers. It's really catchy. They have, okay, so there's another character in the movie that is a, it's a, it's a narrator mm-hmm. who doesn't start the movie off, I don't think. The movie starts off with a pair of like blood red lips disembodied lips it's a disembodied mouth like the rolling stones cover uh singing about b movies and that was really neat i liked that that so it's just the lips and teeth singing and it's that's really interested in and then the the overtitles are in that whatever that font is that looked like horror font, like it's dripping blood so right from the beginning you're like whoa this is different um let me stop you for just a second with the narrator so the narrator comes in after the the i think basically once they leave the church and they're heading off in the car the narrator yes. comes in and you know what i thought was going to happen is because i he's the narrator but i also think he's a um um i think he's supposed to be a uh, uh i can't think of what the term is what is a uh the a person who works in the morgue that, oh, uh, a mortician? Not a mortician, but a, uh, I, I can't think of what the term is. What, like when somebody's murdered. Um, oh, like uh, somebody comes and does the crime scene yeah, investigation. Yeah. Uh, so I thought, I think he's listed as that. I could be wrong. But I thought what was going to happen, I thought they were going to die. And that it was he's telling the story of what happened to them. I thought, I thought they were going to be dead. At the interesting. End. He's... He's in a sort of a library with a with a globe and big dusty books and mm-hmm. wood paneling, and he's got a long cigarette and, and an arch accent and arch eyebrows and 
perfectly coiffed silver hair, and he is sort of the very British, you know. But things did not go quite according to plan, you know. Mm-hmm. It's great, delicious performance, and and so then you kind of like ooh, and that feels so. So we're with the opening title and these two archetypal characters, um, in the font and everything. We're going okay. So there's sci-fi. There's like cre- double creature feature. Like these, they've they've laid out on the table the ingredients, the 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 um, you know the color palette they're painting this movie with, mm-hmm. and then by the time we get to the castle and we go inside the castle, we get the time warp, mm-hmm. and and then you think, oh, okay, this is crazy because it's a big choreograph number, and the narrator gets into it too with yes. escalating excitement, yeah. right? Because it's a repeating refrain. If you haven't heard it, it's like. It tells you how to do the time warp, which is a mm-hmm. dance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you put your hands on your hips, you step to the left, and then a jump to the right. You put your hands on your hips, pull your knees in tight, and the pelvic thrust, mm-hmm. and it'll drive you insane. Let's do the time warp again. Um, and they they repeat it, repeat it. And as they go, they keep cutting back to various people singing the different parts of the verses. And they cut to the narrator, and now he's up on the desk, and he's doing it. And it's just an amazingly awesome sequence, which culminates in this big roll cage elevator in the back of this, you know, central atrium room come rattling down at the end of the song. And we meet our antagonist who is played by Tim Curry, Dr. This is our third Tim Curry movie. Now Uh, we did Congo and we did legend. Right. So when, and, I don't know that he is in Count Congo as a Tim Curry movie. Well, but legend, he's one of the more memorable parts. To be fair. Uh, but legend in this, like, wow, great performances. I mean, I, I don't want to offend diehard Tim Curry fan club members, but, and I know he has had a rich and storied career, but to me, this is the Tim Curry movie. Yeah, I would uh, say. That. I think he steals. This his... is going to be, you know, when Tim Curry, and I hope it's a long time. I mean, I don't think he's in great health anymore, but when Tim Curry passes on, this is going to be they is going to be like hey the, he was Frankenfurter from yeah. Rocky Horror Picture I film. honestly don't know if this film would have worked without Tim Curry Mm-mm. holding it together Mm-mm. and there's a lot to talk about but the charisma and the weirdness and the seduction and he just is nailing all of he's nailing it when you see a performance where somebody just steals the show, that's what he's doing here. He just runs away with it. You almost can't keep up with him. Mm-hmm. And I, there were several times I rewound and wanted to watch his delivery of what would otherwise be an unremarkable line, how he made, he just made a meal out of every little moment he possibly could from a facial expression to a raised eyebrow, to a sneer, to a, uh, you know, through a triumphant grin that sort of curdles into jealousy. I mean, it was just... A, a, a tour de force. So anyway, he comes down and he is um, Dr. Frank and Furter, and he does the second great musical number of this, which is uh, trans. I don't know what the title of it is, but the chorus is I'm, I'm just a sweet transvestite transsexual. Well, I'm just a sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania. Transylvania, which we learn what that means later. Uh, but he has a big cape on and he takes it off and he's wearing a corset, you know, and the thigh high and thigh high stocking. So he's dressed like, uh, you know, in female dress, really, 
I don't know how you would describe it. I keep thinking of the Hellfire Club from Marvel. Yeah, Times, yeah. But yeah, they had the white black, queen yeah. and the black queen. And it's they like, were more or less wearing exactly that, like that. that 50s lingerie, the full head-to-toe deal with the high heels and everything. His hair's grown is like shoulder length, these curls. And he's wearing this black almost lipstick. black, but it's like purple, really. Incredibly, um, it's really drag makeup. I mm-hmm. uh, I makeup and, and lipstick. And he comes down and he's his uh, accent is this very posh British, right? Uh, come come rain to the heist. Like it's it's so arch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the song, of course, as you might guess from the title, is uh, is just crazy and, and pushes all kinds of buttons, which and here's the I also thing. want to talk about how well you think that stood up in 2021 now that we're having conversations about gender identity and everything else. But Well, I think it's pretty remarkable, really. And I, I did just I mean, we don't do a lot of research, but I tried to <laughs> I tried to uh, we don't do a lot of research. I tried to find um, some reaction to this at the time. I mean, there were critics reviews, but. You have to think, okay, this was 46 years ago. Maybe it was, it bombed when it was released in theaters. So I imagine people didn't know what to make of it. But yeah, you would have to think, maybe they just didn't know about it. But you, if they did, I could just imagine, I mean, almost if this were released now in theaters, could you imagine what like Fox News and things would be, would be saying about this? And this is almost 50 years later. So I think if any, you know, again, maybe they just didn't know about it, but I think if religious groups knew about this at time, their their heads had to be exploding. But when you, you know, kind of the more things change, the more that they stayed the same as we were, we're, as I was, I watched this this afternoon. And as I was uh, watching this, there's all this reaction online to there's going to be a new uh, Hellraiser film and they cast instead of Doug Bradley who was in most of the other Hellraiser movies as Pinhead they cast a trans uh, a trans actress to play Pinhead and some people are like oh that's great and then other people not surprisingly online were just losing their shit over this that you know they're gonna so it's like we're 50 years later and you know I just thought here's this beloved by a segment of the populace film from 46 years ago, but still people are not accepting of a trans um, actress playing, you know, I, it's, it's just, have we progressed that much yeah. in 46 years, you know? So the rest of the movie, there aren't the, the big slam dunk, maybe the meatloaf number. But otherwise, in terms of musical numbers, those are the those, those are the two singles of this movie to me, and and the meatloaf number would be a third, but it almost feels like a subplot because um, it's almost a cameo. Uh, meatloaf is also in this. Um, so, just to briefly summarize most of the rest of the movie, he he says, "Come up to to the lab, see what's on the slab," mm-hmm. and what he's it's Frankenstein. He's made uh, a man. He's made a, a, a gorgeous beefcake guy that is clear he intends as a sexual uh, uh-huh. puppet, really. Um, and this to give you a part. Named Rocky. Well, so yeah. Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. So I didn't know that. 
So I was like, oh, I felt What's like title I felt like an idiot, but I was like, I never really thought about what the title meant. And I, I was like, oh, okay, that's where the title came from. Because I didn't know the character was named Rocky. Yeah. So and really, I mean, I don't know horror picture show. Horror is the kind of genre and picture shows. So it's really the Rocky horror movie. <laughs> it was about Rocky. And anyway, that, so that not was Frankenstein, a, but Rocky. Well, let me say something really quickly about that. That was another thing that was interesting about that that made it seem, even though it seemed dated in some ways, not necessarily the filmmaking was dated, but it, it was this kind of 50s, 60s throwback. Um, Rocky was definitely not the typical body type of 1975, even for, um, you know, even for like action stars and things like that, they were kind of more almost like, you know, we'd call today like a dad bod or whatever. So that, that actor, um, which this was some research that I found that was not that guy's voice. So they cast him strictly based on his looks. Interesting. And he couldn't sing, and they also didn't like his speaking voice, so they dubbed his his speaking and his singing, which the guy did a really good job lip-syncing, I noticed. But, you know, that the body type of that guy is like the action heroes now. Yeah. Like the what's viewed as the ideal body yeah, type. no body fat. 2021, like, you know. 12-pack. Yeah. Just... Just ripped, and you know Schwarzenegger. If you if you get into pumping iron, but those he, he but at say, the time they were viewed as like freaks. Yeah, then you know. Yeah, but that that movement was part of making it mainstream. But you're right; right. this would have been considered um, a little well, excessive, abnormal. Yeah. Right. Well, even Janet has a line. You know, he says, "I don't like Frank too many Ferdinand muscles." Says, "What do you think of him?" Mm-hmm. And she says, "I don't like a man with too many muscles." And he thinks it's well, not a for face like you. What you. You don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. Yeah, he's not for you. So, so. Um, yeah. So, so from there, what we get is so for to to me for the first time things start to get a little complicated because one of the clearly one of the um, sort of missions of this movie is to take all of this gender and sexuality stuff out on the table and, and chop it up a little bit Mm -hmm. and have fun with it, but also rub it in our faces and mess around with our, right. So not just the, not just Janet and Brad's norms who are kind of this Barbie and Ken, but clearly those of the audience as well. And so the idea of a person creating another person that he, you know, intends to use in a certain way sexually, I guess what I'm saying is there's a lot in this movie that seems kind of rapey. <laughs> well, yeah. And I would, yeah. And, and you think. Talk about the one scene. Yeah, yeah. With so the kind I'm, of veil. Yeah. So there's a couple of those scenes. Uh, and the first one, so Frankenfurter appears at night. Everybody goes to their their bedrooms. And the, the boudoir is set up with this sort of draped, uh, you know, there's sort of a pink light and then there's a the bed, canopy bed screens it from us. And Janet is in bed and someone who looks like Brad comes in when it's Brad's voice and he gets in bed with her and she's like, oh, you know what, this is, we haven't even gotten married yet or whatever. And he's being very aggressive with her. Uh, she believes it's Brad, of course. I mean, to us, it is Brad. Mm-hmm. The way they do this, 
is just a switcheroo mm-hmm. um, where at the moment they're sort of beginning to consummate this and it happens very fast. It's not super graphic, but it's clear what's going on. There's some thrusting and you yeah. know, shadows. But yeah. And uh, silhouette and the sort of wig comes off mm-hmm. and you can recognize immediately. Suddenly they've switched it out and it's, it's Frankenfurter because it's his silhouette, his voice now in his hair. And she said, oh, you tricked me or whatever. And he says, oh, come on. You know, you can't admit it was all that bad. And he sort of, for lack of a better term, he kind of plows through her resistance. Mm-hmm. And then she kind of comes around to it and decides. She giggles. She and she's like, gives oh, just into don't tell him. It, kind of does enjoy it. Exactly. Just don't tell him. So they consummate this. And then something distracts and the guy rings a buzzer and says, oh, Rocky's escaped or something. Anyway, the scene repeats and he goes and does it with Brad. He appears. Almost the identical almost dialogue. Exactly. Dialogue, exactly. So it, I think it it's less. It's less jarring because we've already seen it and you're getting a comic thing that is being repeated. And somehow I don't feel. I don't know how to, maybe these are just my own hangups, but I, I didn't feel like it, it felt like such a violation when he came in dressed as, you know, masquerading as her. And then it turned out to be him. It didn't feel like such a betrayal somehow on that second time. Yeah, I, I agree. You I know felt what the I same mean? way. Yeah. And Brad's kind of like, because the twist is like, oh, come on, Brad, you know, you know, you kind of always wanted this. And Brad is sort of like, well, you know, and Brad I, gets into it. I don't know if it's just because you think of, and these are, you know, gender norms, but you think of a woman as being less uh, able to resist than a man would be, to, you know, to a rape, essentially, or sexual assault or, yeah. or whatever. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, um, I, I'm, not to resist, but to stop. Sure, I personally still have some more work to do in that regard, but I'm I'm just talking about my personal response to the movie. Yeah, I I felt exactly the same way. Um, So, but I mean, carrying on, we might refer back to this. So we go on. So you've got this, and Rocky doesn't seem into it. Like there's a scene in which Frank and Furter is chasing Rocky around shortly after he comes out of the bandages. And... He's like, this is, you know, this is why I created you for it. He's like, oh, you know, and you're kind of like, he's just not into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so we, we start to see, okay, so it's this, it's, it's a Midsummer Night's Dream. It's a, qua- it's a crazy uh, sex comedy switcheroo, um, comedy of errors uh, stuff. Goes on for a while. Then we sort of figure out that they're aliens, mm-hmm. right? That's the next penny to drop that, that somebody, uh, the, the, the professor comes in or doctor or uh, the professor comes in but but at one point the the um the igor character the butler character drops something about earthlings or something mm-hmm. and he's like i mean yeah i people. mean right so then you're like oh okay and it and it turns out that they are from another planet and the planet transsexual or the planet transvestite transsexual in the galaxy oh, transvestite exactly the planet is called transsexual and the galaxy is called transylvania or mm-hmm. something which is where that comes from which whatever. So um, correct me if I miss any other major plot points, but uh, then the the last big reveal is that, so the Butler has a sister and they're kind of fun characters throughout and they're servants. Did you, this is not who the actress was, but I kept thinking 
I kept thinking that's Madeline Kahn, but it wasn't. Uh, it you know she had that not kind Madeline Kahn, but um, um, shoot, yeah. Um, um, yeah, I know who you mean. Um, just go ahead, and I'll. I can't think of her name now either. From the Rosanna Dana, yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, oh no. Yeah, just continue. Well, I don't know who you thought it was, but anyway, it was wasn't either of them. Uh, the switcheroo is that Bernadette Peters. I kept thinking she was Bernadette she Peters. Has I knew she area. wasn't, but. The switcheroo is that now they're in charge. They've been promoted and Frank and Furter's mission has failed and they've been charged. Well, what he says is we are returning to Transylvania. And then actually I want to take it back because there is a third big number that Tim Gurry gets to do, which is I'm going home. So for me, so it was interesting. I saw a, uh, so I knew, you know, we were going to be doing this at some point. And I just randomly saw a tweet from someone and they said, well, it's, time for me to watch Rocky Horror again and I'm going to watch the first uh, 45 minutes or whatever, an hour and then I'm just going to zone out for the last 30 minutes. And me being a newbie to this, maybe this is blasphemous for um, for you know people who are big fans of this. The, once they hit the stage at the end, that was by far my favorite part of the whole film mm. because basically... I did even the time warp. I didn't really care about any of the musical numbers that were uh, that were not Tim Curry, and I thought his performance in the end, you know, where he's there's tears streaming down and everything, and there's really great shot where um, he's in a pool and it has the uh, on the bottom of the pool is the creation uh, painting. I just thought all of that was. Dynamite. Yeah. I mean, and, I mean, it, get, and it gets a little more serious. They've kind of dropped the 50s, 60s music. It's more contemporary yeah. 70s music. And now I'm remembering, actually, that part that, that is really a lull that this anonymous tweeter referenced is a, there's a professor that shows up that Brad knows from before, a guy in a wheelchair who is on to Frankenfurter and knows the deal. But Frankenfurter then starts toying with all four of them mm -hmm. and they have a dinner scene where they're all kind of making nice, like the jig is up, but then suddenly it's dinner time and they're all sitting it at the dinner table at that part. And, and he's sort of messing with all of them and you realize they're all kind of under a spell. Like he has some sort of control over them. He turns them one by one. He turns them to stone with a Medusa mm -hmm. ray, right? Which is, I mean, upsetting might be too strong a word, but you know, you're suddenly he's turning these characters to stone, and you're like, "Oh my god!" Mm -hmm. And then he turns them back. He can unmedusa them, but you don't know that at the time. And who does he do first? I think he turns Brad to stone first, mm -hmm. and Janet sees you know her fiance get turned to stone, and she's terrified, mm -hmm. right? And then the guy, the professor, gets turned to stone, and then she gets turned to stone, and Frankenfurter is enjoying their distress. I think it's he's a cat enjoying toying with these mice. And they are they're up on stage with him now. They're in the full garb with the uh corset and mm -hmm. the yeah, they're dressed thigh highs. And they're they're part of his musical number, like Marionette's Rocky included, even the guy in the wheelchair who now has, you know, gorgeous gams that he can somehow that they they're like puppets. The they're like nets. marionettes on the string. Mm-hmm as part of this number. And that's when the brother and sister burst in and, and they're now in their 
intergalactic outfits and he's got a kind of a pitchfork ray gun and he says you know we're in charge now you've your mission has been deemed a failure and we're going back to transylvania and he he does this believing that he too is part of we mm-hmm. does this big kind of diva encore number i'm going home with the mascara running down the face and it's yeah a, i love it's that a, part. it's a triumphant it's a triumphant scene at the end of which the guy goes Oh, you must have misunderstood me. I mean, <laughs> whatever. We're going back. We're going back. You know, we're going to kill you. And uh, he zaps him, and Rocky grabs him in a Frankenstein kind of way, and is now now protecting him and Ray carrying him up the arc, up, arc, arc, climbing up the thing, and they're zapping him. The little red, you know, it's not even CGI. It's just they're like they probably hand drew them in, like, like the original zaps. Star Wars. Yeah. Um, zap it off the thing and and i guess he says you know for the crime of murder right did what was the i forget exactly what the crime was that thing and i i thought at the moment i was like of all the crimes he's committed in this movie in this hour and a half we've been watching him they're only Judging him on the one, like he only crossed the line when he killed somebody. I'm trying to remember who he killed. Oh, oh he killed uh, Meatloaf. He killed Meatloaf. Yeah. Right. Meatloaf comes out and kind of he's in deep freeze and he kind of rides out in a motorcycle and he's a rockabilly guy and um, has this kind of meatloafy number. Um, mm-hmm. And then I guess Frankenfurter angry that he didn't stay dead or angry that he's kind of stealing a spotlight or whatever grabs a like a pickaxe really and sort of chases him back into the ice box and in a true like slasher movie style just kind of you know murders <laughs> murders him and later at the dinner table they whip off the the tape and it's, it's sort of his corpse that they've been eating him mm-hmm. they have like a big it looks like a ham and he says, oh, what about... And it was the, his nephew or something. Yeah, yeah. The guy in the wheelchair. He's like, what about... What was his name? I keep wanting to say Rocky, but it wasn't. And it wasn't Meatloaf. Oh, Meatloaf's Eddie. Eddie. He says, oh, what about Eddie? And he goes, that's a tender subject. <laughs> in the mid, you know, mid-car. And you realize, oh, God, it's Eddie. And they pull it off. And there's his sort of corpse with big hunks cutting out of it that they've clearly been eating. So cannibalism and rape and all kinds of things done in a campy way, but with enough teeth that you sit there and you go, I don't remember these themes of this movie. Like when I saw this as a much younger person, I just thought this is a campy Mm -hmm. romp of ridiculousness. And now watching it now, I'm kind of like, it's pretty dark, really. Like, I read an interesting, uh, a little aside with Meatloaf. So he was in the original, um, the original musical, the original stage presentation in, in England. And they, I don't know if this is true or not, but I mean, this was an, a thing that I read, but they said that they cast him based on his singing ability. And um, I guess he didn't read the script very closely. And he didn't really, he was just like, I can sing. And when, so he was, they were doing a performance and Tim Curry comes out in the full outfit 
and he didn't know that's what it was going to be, and he ran away. By the opening performance, supposedly, he's never seen a dress rehearsal? Or- supposed, supposedly. I mean, maybe they were doing a dress rehearsal. I don't know. But they but they said supposedly he saw that, and he ran away. <laughs> and like they had to like talk him into coming back. But I guess the audience liked him so much that... That you know that kind of won him over, but th- that was that could be an urban legend. I don't know. But that's what I read online. Uh, strains credibility with me, but I guess mm-hmm. it makes a good story. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, um, you know, I, I don't know how much time you want to spend trying to unpack some of that stuff. It's the movie is clearly trying to. It's clearly playing with tropes of horror. Okay, so sure. fair game. It's playing with tropes of camp. Uh, from the the double feature creature things, so fair game. Like it's all fair game. Uh, I think it's kind of a masterpiece. The thing is, this so specific a vision that it deserves its cult status. I and I don't know necess- I don't feel necessarily like it. I think it did a lot of this stuff at least half to shock. Yes. And not to be like, this is a think piece designed to start conversation. But it but it was definitely the way in which it wanted to shock was to turn norms on their ear mm-hmm. and sort of delight in doing so. You know, in the way that, you know, the, of course, drag culture has become much more mainstream now. Yeah. So to us, it's not, you know, it's not such a big deal now, but it, it, I just imagine that there had to have been people i i think a little aside here my parents um went to see on a date because they had read reviews of it went to see uh clockwork orange and they still every once in a while will talk about that today as what a terrible movie you know and they were and that's a movie that still, you know, kind of holds up today. Well, it's it, still it, shocking, it you know. It was terrible um, from the angle of, like, terror. Like, right. I mean, it's a masterpiece of a movie, but there are really terrible moments where it makes you feel terrible. Right. But deliberately. But I can imagine my parents having gone, if, if my parents had seen reviews, oh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, this was great. Like, they would have just their brains would have melted. I mean, you know, so uh, that's as we we kind of started out with the beginning, there had to have been, you know, very mainstream people at the time who just went to see this, not knowing what it was. And we're just like, I don't know. The world is ending, you know, for us now with 46 uh, years of progress and a lot of these barriers have, have been broken down. It's not, it doesn't, it doesn't seem shocking to us now. Um, but but it was subversive. It was designed yeah. clearly. It's it's it was made with that very delightfully in hand. Like yeah. that we're going to subvert all of these expectations and all of these comfortable norms, and you know, and I think it does that. It stand all of those uncomfortable things included. It still stands up as a movie and. And I, I think if I showed this, I don't know how you feel with your parents, but if I showed, if I showed this my to my parents, in this. they would just be like, what is this? Why are you showing my, us this horrible thing? Have any yeah, in this you know, so I still think older, you know, older people and particularly in America would be very affected by this. Yeah. You know, 
It'd just be like, this is a weird, gross movie. Yeah, you, you know? know, it makes me think a little bit of Pee Wee's Playhouse in mm-hmm. that that was a that was conceived as a stage production. You know that that Pee Wee. Well, Pee Wee was, was for adults initially. You know, it was on HBO, um, or his you know his specials were on HBO, so it wasn't for kids, right? But it was very much in the style of the. You know, I mean, the, the follow through of making a kid show of that world, like what if it really was for kids? Like, mm-hmm. Kids would love this if you took the sharper teeth out of it. Right. Like, kids would think it was great. Keep the attitude and keep mm-hmm. the, you know, the mischief. Uh, but, you know, dial down the rating some. And I thought that the <clears throat> Wee kids show was still pretty fun. Oh, yeah. But the original thing was a stage production. Yes. And then they're like this. Then he made a feature film out of it. And the feature film retains all of the same. It's crazy. And you've never seen anything like it. And you're like, what is What is this? Mm-hmm. Uh, who, you know, this it doesn't fit a model, you know, like, oh, it's a buddy cop movie. This is, yeah. a, oh, it's the man child. <laughs> you know? Like, what the? It's a road film, I guess, is the closest yeah, thing yeah. you could do. It is a road it. film. Um, but, uh, you know, this made me think of that a little bit. That yeah. it's so theatrical and it's a musical, and and then they made a movie of it, and the movie feels so specific and so realized. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I was. That's, I guess, the end of my thought. But so, I mean, would you recommend it? Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's definitely for certain audiences, people who don't like musicals, you know, if you don't like musicals, you're not going to like this. And I, so my reaction to it would be, it's not a great musical either. Let's be frank. I mean, yeah. Like don't send me hate mail for saying that, you know what I'm saying? Les Miserables, it is not right. Um, it's, um, and, and I wouldn't sit around and, and listen to these songs. Like I brought up Tommy in the beginning and, you know, I haven't listened to it a long time, but like when I was in college, I had the, the CD of Tommy. I, there's a lot of really good songs on there. Um, this, I wouldn't, like I said, and you know, this is kind of blasphemous for the, for the big fans, the, like the time warp, I didn't really care that much about. And, but the, the songs that Tim Curry performs, I really enjoyed, especially that, that ending part, I was just knocked out yeah. by. The rest of it, I was just kind of like, this is fine. Yeah. And um, some of it, I just sort of felt like, I don't even know why this needs to be a musical. This could just be well, dialogue. That's why, when you, you know, say this is a musical, that's why I'm like... It, it's it, not constant Technically, singing, it's a know? musical because it's a bunch of songs strung together to tell mm. the story. But the songs, I, m- many of the songs feel extremely half-assed to me. Uh, and, and there are... There are some, I'm not, you know, there are some great numbers and Tim Curry really sells it. I would recommend it if you know anything about this film and you haven't seen it. Um, I think, and you know, you're not immediately turned off by what you already know about it because it's all that and and more. Um, I'd recommend that you watch it because it is 50 years old and a lot of, I, I was just about to say a lot of the prophecies in it come true, but that's not. This movie isn't making, but a lot of the things it deals with are much more um, mainstream parts of mainstream conversations now. Mm-hmm. And it is interesting to see the way in which this movie, which had to know that it would really only appeal to an underground audience. Mm-hmm. It had to know that it delights yeah. in that. 
Um, it's, it's pretty, not, and it's not really for everyone else. This one's for us, the ones who get it. You know, so there's a delightful mischief in it that relishes in like, oh, they wouldn't air this on the big networks, you know. But it's pretty incredible that it it flopped really badly. And then in the late 70s, it got resurrected with the midnight screenings. And it's done $170 million since then. And so I would say, so, I mean, I will admit the, the, the musical parts that Tim Curry wasn't the focal point of, I was kind of like, okay, let's just move on to, I was, they went on a little long to me and I was ready for the next part, but I, I overall enjoyed it. I mean, I'm glad I, I don't know that I'm going to revisit this anytime. I'm glad I it was kind of like one of, not like a bucket list thing, but it's like I checked that off. Sure. Like, oh, I finally saw Rocky. Now that we're doing a, po- a podcast about movies. We can like, do this gotta, kind of stuff. You got to do it. It is a, I mean, it's the definition of a cult film. Um, some of the cult films are, you know, I think of just to throw something out like a racer head. I don't know. Have you ever seen a racer head? No. I like David Lynch, but Eraserhead, I I had a hard time with. But um, this is a cult film, but it's still enjoyable. Uh, Tim Curry steals the movie. He's amazing. Um, I would say if I ever would watch this again, and this would not necessarily be something that would be like, hey, I definitely want to do this for sure. But if I ever had the opportunity to see one of the midnight screenings, this would be. Have you ever done that? Uh, I saw the room. Oh, okay. that way. I I have been to a midnight screaming of this screaming a screaming. But to me, I was thinking, okay, there is going to a concert, and there's the experience of that, and then there's watching a video of a concert is not the same thing. Right. So I would imagine seeing this with a theater full of people who are really into this, it would probably be fun. It would probably be fun. I enjoyed watching this thing again and just by myself and really taking it in as a film. Like mm-hmm. being like, okay, so a director made this. I mean, if we didn't talk any about this at all. It's shot well and it's acted well. Yeah. You know, there's some neat yeah. sets and things like that. Yeah. I think this would, you know, I watched this at three in the afternoon on my couch. Um, this would probably benefit from some substances of whatever your choice of substance that you would like. I, I imagine I'm sure a lot of people that w- at the midnight screenings or had some drinks or they're high or whatever, you know? And so I think it would probably benefit from that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would rec, I would recommend it to with the caveats of, yeah, there are definitely people that aren't going to like this, but uh, it, it's an hour and a half. To, it it breezes by. I felt you know. All it's an hour I, and a half, but it feels a little stretched. I mean, there's places where there's sort of you know where the plot is driving it along, and then there's other places where that's not happening, and you're kind of like, oh, there's another song here. Like, I don't mm-hmm. do we need another song right now? What happens next? I just felt like I was all along. I was it was fine. You know, this is entertaining, and then that last twenty five minutes or so. I was really hooked with that. I, I really enjoyed all of that because it, you know, it that was kind of all Tim Curry. Yep. So, and I agree. I would also say that, you know, unless what you know about the film is a disqualifier for you, that Tim Curry's performance alone is, is worth. I mean, I think out. that ending is like, you know, borderline Oscar worthy. 
you know, where he's, you know, just the tears and all. I, I just really, that's, really enjoyed that. That's certainly what they're going for. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that I'd give him an Oscar for it, but it's a masterful performance, right? So in that sense, um, he is always doing something. It's difficult to take your eyes off of him in the movie. Yeah. When he's on screen, even when he's not the center of the scene, he's doing something interesting and I love that. That's a theatrical thing in this this sort of in a comedy and something campy. You know, there's frequently a competition of who can steal the scene. And Frank, you know, if this is your scene and you let that guy in the background steal it from you, well, you know, shouldn't have let him steal. You know, why'd you let him steal it? <laughs> you know, and then when I was thinking about- the audience loves to watch people trying to, you know, pull. Focus. I was thinking about Richard O'Brien. You know, is in, he's the creator of it, wrote it. He's in the film. And I I just was kind of thinking, like, I don't know if generous is the right term, but it's like he's just there and he just lets Tim Curry, you know, just go with it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So that's uh, what we thought. Uh, do you have any sense of what we're going to do for next time? Um, I don't. There were a couple of... Uh, so I've watched, we talked a little bit about it. I've watched some of, um, not ghost in the shell, but ghost in the machine, which I think would be a pretty fun because it's a very ridiculous film. Um, some things like I'll just see, you know, it'll come up on Twitter or whatever. And I'll be like, Oh, I've never seen that before. I've never, I said something one day about, um, the witches of Eastwick. Mm-hmm. I've never seen the witches. I've never seen that before. I think I saw it when I was a kid. I don't um, remember much about it. We haven't really done a, I mean, that's like a comedy. We, we haven't really done anything like that. Um, I don't know. What do you, do you have any thoughts? I'm down for any of that. I don't have something that has floated at the surface of my mind as something that I want, want to do. So I'd be down to watch and, any of those. If you have one that's been chewing at you. Okay. Um, we'll just kind of think about it, but I know we have, it's still a couple of weeks, but, um, I think it's the 22nd that Dune comes out. Are you going to see Dune in the theater or are you going to watch it? I don't know home? where I'm going to see it, but I'm going okay. to see it. So that's I've, once we get to that, that's we'll yeah, cover that. Yeah, I, I almost hesitate to, to do Dune on here because we're going to spoil it right off the bat. And I, I think we just do, you know, do the caveat. Of we spoil. Okay. So. I really, really can't wait. To I see mean, it. we did the original one and that, you know. That's true. It's the same story. Yeah, same story. (laughs) I I don't know if they make any major changes or anything. In fact, it's only the first half of it, as I understand Mm -hmm. that I even get all the way through. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, great. So Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail.com. That's how you can get a hold of us and let us know what you think about what we said and what you think we ought to do next. And if you watch us on YouTube, if you're watching this right now, please like and subscribe on YouTube because that helps us. Or if you're doing the the audio only version, wherever you get your podcasts, please like and subscribe there as well. Yes, that helps us. Yes, it helps us. Not financially, it just helps us get more get, listeners. And that's why we're doing this because it's fun. Yeah. And uh, if you have suggestions for films to do, we're open to whatever. Yeah. Within reason. Yeah. Within reason. <laughs> All right, everybody. Um, so I guess we haven't landed on quite what we're going to do next week, but it's going to be maybe one of those ones we were talking about. And uh, so we'll leave you in suspense. But uh, unless you have anything else to add, that's it. We will talk to you 
next week.